I would love to play against him. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's yeah. good, right? He's good. And there's so many great centers over the history of our game. Uh-huh. Man, is he good. I just hope he stays healthy and able to continue to do what he does because he is fun to watch. All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to be back from vacation here. I have on uh, my outfits from vacation. I just really, really appreciate everybody for uh, tuning in at this stage. Uh, thank you so much for hopping into the chat Uh it is going to be an interesting podcast, probably less of a serious podcast and, and more of just like, hey, let's get back into the flow. Let's get back into the swing of things. I'm excited to be able to chat with everybody. And if you had any fun things that happened during All-Star break, then you can let me know. Uh, I went to Mexico, uh, got a nice little friend back there uh, that I picked up and then just had a great time with my friends, uh, great time with my brother. Uh, shout out Ava and Brent. Shout out Ross for a wonderful, wonderful time. Really, really appreciated just being able to get away. And like, it's very rare that I'm able to get away and, and be able to kind of do the, the necessary rest and recharge thing. So it was cool to see. Hope everybody's having a great time. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, this is hilarious. Yeah, Cedric. Thanks, Cedric. I, I don't ever usually shave for this reason, for obvious reasons. Uh, it does look very weird. I, I do agree with you. Um, But yeah, just having a grand old time. Hope everybody is enjoying the time off. The Denver Nuggets got back into town today. I'll talk about them in the first segment. Uh, practice in the first segment. Nothing too crazy happened at practice. Uh, we'll talk about the beginnings of All-Star Talk, or like the, the end of All-Star Talk, actually. So nothing nothing too seriously that we're getting into. And then as the title of the podcast says, 29 moments to celebrate Nikola Jokic's 29th birthday. Uh, I compiled a list that I'm going to share over the course of segments two and three. And I won't go too long on any of them, but I do want to be able to discuss them. Uh, impetus for that, by the way, I'm not wearing it now, but we got the... Uh, the Nikola Jokic T here. Uh, this thing is fire. As you can see, we've got the uh, we've got the scar, which is dope. I don't have mine on because I already had on another shirt and didn't really feel like putting it on. But it's is super comfortable, and I hope that you all decide to go and get one. The link is down in the description if you're interested. This T-shirt is fire. And I am super excited to be able to promo it for uh, my guy, Anilo, who came up with the design, did a whole bunch of really cool things with it. This thing is amazing. Uh, it's one of the only products that we've released in the last couple of years. So it is a big deal coming from us at MHS. If you're interested in it, then uh, then let us know and go and get a shirt in the description because that thing is fire um gotta love it gotta love a good shirt uh and hello brent i i see you in the comments there that is hilarious um yeah i decided hey got got my little owl friend which i will have to name at some point um okay nuggets practice today nuggets got in at uh in the afternoon for the most part nothing too crazy went on at practice the most important thing that people should probably know Nikola Jokic did not practice. He was not there. They gave him an extra day. Please do not come back. Please rest and recover. And I I think in years past, Jokic would have been like, no, I'm going to be there at practice. I'm going to be there. This year, he took the day. And I think there's there's a reason for that. He's pretty exhausted for sure. Um, but everybody else practiced fully, which includes Jamal Murray, includes KCP. Denver didn't do any like major scrimmaging or anything like that. They mostly worked on, they did a lot of fast break stuff. I think my general impression for this is that this one is generally used for cardio. It's generally used for getting back into shape after a few days off. Tomorrow, Denver will practice and they will absolutely uh, get into more of the tactical stuff that they do. Um, 
see my see my friends in chat there. Um, La Cucaracha. That's a that's a cockroach. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day for practice. Michael Malone spoke to the media. Michael Porter spoke to the media, and Peyton Watson spoke to the media. I suspect that Jamal and Aaron Gordon will talk to the media tomorrow, and they'll probably give Nikola Jokic another day off from doing any more media obligations, which is probably the right call, if I'm being honest. Uh, but it was good to see. Good to see everybody uh, just kind of get into the back into the swing of things. Most of the guys had cleared out of the gym by the time we got back into it, but um, Michael Porter, well-spoken as always. He had a pretty good attitude about himself, and uh, was talking about how competitive the the rest of the Western Conference was and how that should give them and give Denver a little bit more motivation heading into the latter stages of the season than they had last year, where Denver was kind of up on the standings over everybody. Uh, Michael Porter talked about the goal over the course of the next 27 games. Uh, I asked him this, was that he wants Denver on both sides of the ball to look like the team that they should. And... I thought that was an interesting answer because Denver hasn't always looked like the team that they should this year. They go through stages of it. They they have moments where it looks great, but it's very rare for them to actually kind of reach that stage. And I'm not surprised that they are kind of uh, things, things a little bit off. And you go into the break with a three-game losing streak. I'm not really surprised that that's kind of how people feel. Um, but he definitely felt that way. Peyton Watson. Very much uh, just excited to be in the building. He's always a ray of sunshine and always somebody who is very energetic. And that's a good thing to have for this Nuggets team. It's one of the reasons why he plays, if I'm being honest, on top of just being very good. Uh, but one of the reasons is that he gives Denver a jolt of energy. And I asked him kind of about that. I asked him and, and got a really good response, I think. How Peyton Watson is kind of responding to the level of physicality and the the physical exhaustion and the exertion that it kind of takes to be at this NBA level. And he was like, quote, it's extremely physically taxing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I love it so much that I embrace everything that comes with it. Even when I'm feeling tired and fatigued, I'm like, I remember last year when I wanted this feeling. Last year, I felt fresh all year and I just was waiting for my opportunity. So this year, now that I have the opportunity, I'm not taking anything for granted. I want to remember how I feel when I'm down, when I'm sad, when I have a bad game. So that way I can appreciate it much more when I have a good game. I thought that was fascinating because he talked about also like he views himself as one of the best defenders of this league and, and that he can be at that level. And I agree. But one of the problems that you sort of run into when you see that is that it's it's generally fairly easy to give that level of energy, that level of effort when you're in a bench role as opposed to when you're in a starting role. Because think about it from a, like, and this this might change, but it's one of the reasons why guys are generally better and more active earlier in their careers on the defensive end, is that once you start playing 25, 30, 35 minutes a game as a starter, as a star in, in a large role where people are game planning for you every single night, where they're trying to take you down, where especially if you're a team that's got a target on their backs, like they are, like every team is game planning for you, especially hard. And to me, that is one of the leaps that Peyton Watson is going to have to leave. He's going to have to kind of enter, not necessarily even this year, but mostly in the playoffs and then next year as Denver continues to try to get him a larger and larger role. Uh, I'm curious to see how he handles it because if he handles it really well, then I think he will be a starter for this team in the future. I'm not sure what position, but I think he will be. Um, if he can handle that and he can expand his offensive game and continue to do the things that young players have to do in order to develop and be better in this league, then he's obviously got a bright future ahead of him. Uh, Swipa is, is over the moon for Peyton for obvious reasons. Like He's great. He's awesome. So I hope that he continues to uh, continue to show that. Last thing, Michael Malone, very serious, very serious for practice today. He wasn't joking a ton. He wasn't joking as much as, as maybe you would think. Uh, I asked him actually after the presser, like if he got him, if he got any relaxation time, if he got any time to recharge, 
he said no. And the reason was because he was going to see his daughter uh, at her volleyball tournament. And I think that happened over multiple days. And so he got that opportunity to go watch her, but he was also living vicariously through his daughter. And obviously that there is a lot of energy that I'm sure he spends and uh, passion that he exerts. And he, he actually, he gave me this face where he would be going back to his hotel room at, at the end of the day and was just like, Oh God, <laughs> like I get it. I get it for sure. Like that is a, that is definitely a parent thing to do. And Michael Malone is, he just struggles to turn it off. There's no doubt about it. And it feels like he's just one of those guys that's going to be very difficult to get him to mellow out, especially where Denver came off of this three game losing streak. And I think that that was one of the things that really stood out just talking to him was that he is very locked in and focused. He didn't get a lot of recovery time. He didn't get a lot of time away from the game. I think he's very still worried about where this team is at and where they want to continue to go. He wants them to prove that they are going to come out with the necessary desire and intensity and focus in order to get it as good of a seat as possible in the playoffs. And like, I don't know if he's going to get that. <laughs> I don't know. Just based off of thinking about what this team has to go through and what they're going to look like, they might. Like They might kind of jump up the seatings a little bit. But I'm not sure it's going to be that easy. And I think that Denver will probably prioritize their rest and their recovery even more, especially in mid to late March, beginning into early April. And that's going to be a big chunk of the games, like at least 10 to 12 games there where Denver might go six and six during that time. And that would be probably a death sentence if they are trying to actually climb up the standings because every team has a winning record over the course of their last 10 or somewhere close to that. And if that's the case, then Denver's just never going to be able to get that recovery time. So, look, we will see. We'll see what happens. But I am very curious as to how Denver approaches it. Malone was focused on the transition efficiency. He was focused on making sure that Denver improved in some of those categories. Those are some detail categories that I'm not surprised that he wanted to uh, just sort of appreciate. Um. And that just would not surprise me in the slightest if Denver has a bump in their execution level, especially coming out of the All-Star break. That would be really helpful. I think that would go a long way in my personal opinion of, of where the team is kind of going. I am curious as to whether they can get it done. So we will see. Uh, but tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about just everything Nikola Jokic and Look, I, I know he didn't speak today. I know that there's still some stuff that's kind of getting through there, but I'm going to chat about the MVP race, or not the MVP race. I'm going to talk about Nikola Jokic going, getting his birthday and turning 29, and some of the moments that Nuggets fans are super excited about that they are always happy with. Um, but first, I have to do a read, and in order to do the read for the pasta, the product Superbook Sports that uh graciously sponsors our podcast, I wanted to pull up the MVP odds as they currently stand. Nikola Jokic currently the favorites at minus 125. Shea Gilgis-Alexander plus 200 is in second. Giannis and Luka are tied at plus 800. And then Jason Tatum is plus 1600. That wraps up the top five. Uh, actually, Kawhi Leonard is plus 2500. He is the only other guy in this race that is anywhere closer than plus 10,000, which is very, very interesting. Uh, if you are curious, and like that's just the, the odds right now for winning the MVP, there are plenty of opportunities to do so, plenty of different things that you can do on Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. Make sure you use the promo code MILEHIGH and you can score up to 250 bucks with that first bet bonus. Visit Superbook.com. For terms and conditions, gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLING. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. Pickaxe and old Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I am going to take off this tiny little mariachi hat uh, because it is going to fall off my head. Uh, but yeah, no, as I as I mentioned before, for those that have not seen it, the Nicole Jokic shirt is in stock. You should absolutely check it out. It is very sick. And as we get to celebrate Nicole Jokic turning 29 here, uh, which is, I, I guess, a little bit weird. It's not like, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about Jamal Murray turning 27 in a few days. I'll talk about, uh, like, KCP just had a birthday right before Nicole Jokic on February 18th. Uh, so interesting to see that, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all good, but, uh, perfect. I'm, I'm good with Steve. I'm good with Steve for the owl's name, by the way, we can, we can go with Steve. That is, uh, uh that is my first, that is my first candidate for the, for the name of the owl, but I will let the chat vote on it tonight and we will, uh, we will come out with a different, well, with the finalized name by the end of this podcast. That'll be great. Um, okay. Nicole Jokic just turned 29. I decided, because I am a sociopath, to use this as an opportunity to talk about some of Nicole Jokic's greatest moments. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure to hit on before we get going, uh, we're going to talk about the All-Star game here really quick. Uh, I wanted to kick it off with this conversation that Larry Bird had with Reggie Miller and just talking about Nikola Jokic and, and just how great he is. Take a listen. I would love to play against him. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's yeah. good, right? He's good. I mean, there's so many great centers over the history of our game. Uh-huh. Man, is he good. I just hope he stays healthy and able to continue to do what he does because he is fun to watch. Uh-huh. Probably yep. more so than by the league. It used to be that when Golden State was healthy, they were really fun to watch. Now I've switched over to Denver. He makes that whole thing go. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't he be fun to play with? Oh man, God! Yeah, no. This was a this was a good time for Nikola Jokic, and and when you have somebody like Larry Bird saying those things about it about him, like that is as reverent as you're gonna get from a competitor like Bird, who, like you said, I'd love to play against him. And you want to know why he said that? because he views it as a challenge. He views it as a way to test his own brain, his own mind, his own skills against Larry. Like, Larry's not talking about teaming up with him or anything like that. Although he did say, can you imagine playing with that guy? That'd be insane. Um, But it would be incredible to watch him. Incredible to watch those two play. Kind of like watching Luka and Jokic play, which was another storyline that happened during this particular uh during this particular all-star weekend which those guys are bromancing it up i know that dnvr uh harrison Wynn talked about it earlier today dnvr and miroslav uh also did some digging on on what he said in serbian to one of the questioners one of the media folks and like it was interesting to see him talking about luka and talking about the idea of them potentially playing together. Jokic said, I'd, I'd never do it in, in like anywhere other than Denver, basically, which is, hey, hey you, you never know. Like, you never know what happens. You never know what could happen in 2027 or 2028. That would be quite, quite the experience. I'm not sure if it would be tr- tremendously better. Like, they would be, like, I think Denver would be a better team. They would win more games for sure. How they would fare in the playoffs, like is the between what Jokic and Murray do in the two man game, that is definitely something that I'd be a little bit more curious about. Uh, but those two would be like they they'd play so fun. They they would have such a fun brand of basketball. I think that Luka would probably mellow out a little bit more playing next to Jokic. His life would be made easier by all the attention that Jokic takes away, and that would be a lot of fun. That would be a very very interesting two man game. And they'd be having passing battles all over the floor. It'll be awesome. Um, so hey, something for Nuggets fans to dream about in the future, but nothing that you need to worry about now. 
Uh, All-Star, as I mentioned, uh, it flopped. I have one take about All-Star. I think that they should divide what is currently the NBA All-Star game into two events. I think that they should have an All-Star game, which is basically first to 100 points. You don't want to have these 180 to 160 kind of scores because nobody really wants to see that. Everybody is fine. It's not a big deal. I think first to 100 points would be a little bit more competitive and it would provide a target marker for teams. And like they'd have to go back and forth and they'd have to start defending if they actually wanted to win something like that. I think you pair that with a million dollar prize for the team that won the All-Star game. That would be good. Um, Not everybody has to play in the All-Star game. I know that Chris Finch was going to play Carl Anthony Towns in this game, but in a game where you have all those All-Stars, you could have Nikola Jokic play 24 minutes and Anthony Davis play 24 minutes at, um, at at the five and be pretty happy with the results. That would be pretty cool. I think that they should do that. First to 100 points in the All-Star game. And I also think that they should do a horse competition. They should do something that involves the actual All-Stars that are there. Do it on the same day. Do it before. Uh, do it with the guys. Like, I I don't think you can extend it too far. Like, maybe, maybe it's like a pig competition or, or you have to spell out NBA or something like that in the first couple rounds. But I think that they should loop something like that in. So the guys are, they can show off and have fun during that time. Like they can, hey, you want to take half court shots during horse competition? Sure. The all-star game itself should be more of a game. It should be a competitive environment. And the fact that like, like Damian Lillard is trying to pull up from past half court and Jokic is trying to like, like throw alley-oops off the backboard and then things like that. I didn't watch any of the events. I saw some highlights, but what I'd know is that no defense was being played because everybody was trying to do crazy shit and they're trying to play these, do these in crazy, these incredible crazy things. That's fine. That's all well and good. But if it were up to me, I would separate it out and I would do a horse competition and let the participants, like you don't have to make it all of the all-stars, make it like who the NBA fans want to see, like have them vote on the game. Okay. You want to see, Steph in the horse competition? Cool, you got to vote Steph. You want to see LeBron in the all-star competition or in the in the horse competition? Vote LeBron. You want to see Jokic? Vote Jokic. And if we took the top eight or so, or maybe even top six of the total vote getters, you would probably get like Steph, Luka, Giannis, LeBron, Jokic, and Tatum. That's probably what you're getting from the six most popular names. And how fun would that be to watch those guys just horse around, frankly? Like, that would be amazing. That would be a good competition. And it would be something on Sunday that is different from the rest of it. And you could focus more on the game in that other segment. But I would do that. I would add a horse competition where those guys are trying to hit crazy shots, trying to do crazy things. And then I would add a... uh, and then I would like do first to 100 points on the All-Star game with a million dollar per player payout. That would be my goal. Okay, let's transition into this other segment, which I was going to do for the most part. Nikola Jokic turns 29. Uh, sorry to be all discombobulated. It's my first podcast back in a while. Uh, Jokic turns 29. Here are my favorite 29 of his moments from his NBA career. And if I miss anything, let me know in the comments because I'm not perfect. And I think that there are like, I'll, I'll, obviously this is a, this is a subjective list, but if you have a different list, let me know because I can totally imagine some other moments being up here as well. Uh, but 29, some of these are going to be in chron- chronological order. Some of these are not, but this first one is, is in chronological order, which is the rookie performance that he had against Tim Duncan back in the day. 23 points and 12 rebounds versus Tim Duncan as a rookie. That was a crazy one because Greg Popovich then took notice of Jokic. Uh, Tim Duncan took took notice of Jokic. And 
that was a fun kind of moment for Jokic to really start establishing himself and proving himself against one of the greats. He wants to be Duncan. That was probably one of the reasons why, was he got to play against them and see how good he was up close. Very lucky to catch the tail end of Tim Duncan's career was Jokic, and I'm sure that that benefited him for sure. 28, the first 40-point game at Madison Square Garden. This was uh, second in, I think it was the second year, if I'm not mistaken. Remember the Jokic versus Porzingis talks back in the day that Jokic then made look dumb? New York was very uh, possessive of their own big man, of their own unicorn. And a long time, those guys were compared against each other. That 40-point game was the first of many opportunities for Jokic to really separate himself from KP. And I thought he did a great job with it. That was really cool. And just being able to see him shoot like that and, and make that many shots and score that many points, I think it changed a lot of people's perceptions of what Jokic could be as a scorer. And that has turned out to be very prophetic. 27, the lob to Kenneth Fareed in London. This was an interesting one because it was one that I I definitely forgot about until I really started thinking back and, and thinking about his career. But Jokic catches a lot, or he catches a rebound underneath. It was, I think it was an air ball by Jameer Nelson. And he circles around underneath the basket and then flips this lob up to Kenneth Fareed over his shoulder. And he gets a big ooh from the crowd. Like it was a it was a big deal that that somebody like that just kind of whipped the ball around like that as a big man. There was a lot of control, a lot of interesting stuff. And that was just one of those plays that stick out as one of the building blocks for Jokic's career. Number 26. This one is interesting. This one may be one that people don't remember. 2018 or 2017, Denver signs Paul Millsap to a contract. It's like a three-year, $90 million contract. And he was brought in to be an all-star, or maybe not fully an all-star, but he was certainly brought in having won four straight all-star games. And it wasn't until, I think, February of 2018, Paul Millsap actually sat down with Nikola Jokic and had a conversation with him and said, bro, you are our best player. You need to be the guy. I am not the best player. You are the best player. You need to be the one who leads, who does the, like, who shoulders the burden. Can't always be deferring to me. You have to be the guy. And that was Paul Millsap to a T, and just very, very interesting, and one of the reasons why he's such a great vet. From that moment on, Jokic approached things a lot differently. And I thank Paul Millsap for that, clearly, because he was part of the arc for Nikola Jokic, helping him learn how to play defense, learn how to use his hands, learn how to use his feet, and be a smarter player and a, a good vet. Just like Jokic, a lot of the tendencies that he has absorbed as being a veteran came from Paul Millsap. So credit to Paul, uh, one of the best signings in Nuggets franchise history and one that was heavily criticized at times, but still very, very good and very helpful. Number 25, December 15th. This is December 15th, 2016, the Yoke miss. Uh, it could be higher. Believe me, I, I could see opportunities for it to be higher on this list. But this also kind of pairs with the one-handed slinger that Jokic had to kind of Fareed under the rim in transition. Uh, this was one of those plays that sort of defines the beginning of Jokic and how creative and interesting he could be as a player. And like, you just have to include Jokic. It's just a, it's a requirement, right? Like you can't have anything other than that. 24, the final five games of the 2022 regular season. And, and stick with me for a second, because that is very specific. This actually, this segment actually ends with, uh, the segment of games ends with headband Jokic. I'm going to include the numbers from that game, but I'm not going to talk about that game as much right now. This was when Denver was trying to earn a play-in spot, or, or avoid the play-in, excuse me. And Jokic went into overdrive with numbers that we haven't seen from him since. Listen to these five games. 37.8 points per game, 16.6 rebounds, 6.6 assists, 
2.2 steals, 65.4% from the field, which is insane. When he's being harassed as much as he is, that was insane. And like he shot 15% from three because he was so much on overdrive. And there are some some things that you just can't do all the time. But like he basically averaged 38, 16, and seven. And two steals. (laughs) Denver won a lot of those games. They got into the playoffs as a result. And maybe they should have been in the play-in. Maybe that would have been better for them. But I do think that this was just, it was one of those moments that I'm going to remember for a long time. Like, him getting to that level won him the MVP. It just did. Number 23. You guys remember when he got shredded during the pandemic? (laughs) This is one of those things that's like, it's not serious. And this list isn't meant to be like super serious. Do you remember the pictures that came out of Jokic hit like after hitting the gym and like he was in skinny jeans and like talking to Novak Djokovic and like just looking as cut and trim as he ever has from a physical perspective. And I remember during that season before the pandemic hit, like there was a lot of criticism for Jokic's weight, for Jokic's body size. And he worked his way down during that season. But he got to a very interesting place after the pandemic where he was like in great shape and moving extremely well. He may have even lost a little bit too much strength, if I'm being honest, with how much like how quicker how much quicker he got. That was interesting to see, but he was getting shredded. And I remember those pictures coming out and everybody was like, oh, my God, it's happening. He's going to turn into Jordan. And then he kind of did. It was awesome. Number 22. Uh, this is now breaking into this year, the Jokic and Murray versus Boston duel. Uh, this was a big moment for Denver at this point where you go into a team or into a, it was a regular season game, obviously. So you can't have it too high, but like Denver going into that and just playing as well as they did this year was a big, big moment, just as much for Murray as it was for Jokic. But those two going together, it was a big reminder that the title still runs through Denver even if things don't look great in the in the meantime like Denver can still reach that level unlike so many other people number 21 the perfect triple double versus DeAndre Ayton think about how crazy that is Ayton was just getting into the league this was the 2018-19 season Ayton was a rookie it was like his second or third game in the league and Jokic puts up one of the most efficient and effective performances we've ever seen it was awesome it was so good and is just a nice little reminder of the levels that Aiton would need to get to in order to seriously challenge Jokic. And, and he did it at one point, but now that is basically over. It is obviously completely different levels. Number 20, back-to-back buzzer beaters and game winners versus Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns back in 2019. These were like two days, like back, basically back-to-back where you have the crazy shot against Embiid and then the Sixers where the ball gets ping-ponged around and Millsap passes it to Jokic and they complete this massive comeback with Jokic kind of fall, like sprawling to the floor after uh, taking this shot and making it. And then, not to be outdone, the sexier one was right after that, where he gets the ball in the post against uh, against Towns and then turns and hits a fadeaway like from 22 feet away from the basket, it was sick. It was absolutely disgusting. And him being able to hit both of those, it was like a a nice little, hey, I'm here too, uh, for these other young stars in the NBA, these star bigs who he had been compared to for the entire time. And so him being able to do that against both of those guys in such a short time was a big deal. Number 19, the buzzer beater that he just had versus Golden State. This was one of those ones that just means more. It was a crazy shot, banking it off the right side. Uh, just a crazy, crazy performance from him. And culminated with one of his toughest shots that he's ever hit. And he's done that before, but like, like he is inevitable in a lot of ways. And that really displayed exactly why. Uh, just as much had, as it had been talked about, Steve Kerr had been complaining about the foul calls and things like that, how often he was getting to the free throw line. And Jokic just powered through, and he did exactly what he needed to do. This was awesome. Number 18, 65 minutes versus Portland. 
Uh, this was in the 2019 playoffs where Denver loses that quadruple overtime game, game three of the second round. But it was an epic one. It was one of those crazy performances that nobody should ever forget, where Jokic, constantly criticized for his conditioning and for his physicality and his athleticism and things like that, he played 65 minutes in a basketball game. Nobody's ever really done that before. And the fact that he led that game in minutes, and believe me, he was a a walking stone golem by the time, by the end of that game. He could barely move, and like understandably so. But just a very, very impressive performance to even get to that point. And Denver should have won that game. There are multiple times where they could have. Uh, mistakes really hurt them on, on multiple occasions, but that was a big time. Number 17, the Markeith Morris shove. This was, I think, a defining moment for a lot of folks where Jokic was like, you know what? I'm not going to be screwed around with. I'm not going to be that guy that you can push around, that, that you can send a message to. And he pushes him from behind. He elbows him from behind in the back. And Markeith Morris obviously sustained some uh, residual time out from that, but I think it sent a message around the league to the rest of the NBA. Jokic is not somebody that you can screw around with, and that has borne out, I think, crazily so. He has been very much somebody that nobody is ever really poking the bear anymore, ever since that moment, really. Number 16, Jokic versus Embiid in 2022. And this is the last one before we hit a break. Jokic versus Embiid, that game was really where the All-Star, or not the All-Star, the MVP conversation really was kicking into high gear. It didn't get as toxic as it did in 2023. But in 2022, Jokic versus Embiid was a big, big deal. I don't think that Jokic won that matchup or anything, but Denver won the game, and that really swung the second MVP in Jokic's favor, where people... They stopped looking at that for so much of like like the numbers and the, the discrepancies and things like that. They could just really look at the results and what happened. Jokic's team won in Philly. Embiid was great in that game, but not as not good enough in some aspects. And then Jokic hit a couple crazy shots and made some crazy passes and did enough to really earn the MVP. That was a, a big, big moment for him and for the Nuggets, and really made what I thought was a was a palatable 2022 for that reason, despite the fact that Denver had lost Murray and Porter during that year. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat uh, with, uh, we're going to chat about the rest of these moments and then kind of get through that, power through that. But first, uh, let's go to Scott DeHuff. Seeing uh, <laughs> seeing a lot of discussion from the chat. Oh, it's a little bit too heavy, isn't it? Uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna bounce. Uh, if I if I have something to prop it up, then I will. I will I will get something for it. I promise. But uh, we're gonna make that happen. Maybe I could like push it back against the wall or something. Ooh. And for those that are listening to the podcast version of this, like, what in the heck is going on here? Uh, I am currently trying to balance the hat. Uh, for the, there we go. That looks pretty good. The string is a little bit weird, but, like, that looks pretty good. Um, I think I did a pretty good job there. Um, <laughs> a little bit crooked. Uh, okay, let's get back to it. Pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Let's wrap up the podcast with the final 15 things on the list, the 15 moments, and God, uh, the 15 moments from Jokic as he turns 29, and I think these are good moments to just sort of live back on in memory lane and really appreciate what has been a long and fun and capable career from the Joker. Number 15, 2021 playoffs, Nikola Jokic dominates Yusuf Nurkic in game six. 
on the road. Denver needed a win. If they had gone to Game 7, who knows what happens in Game 7 back in Denver. But Denver had an opportunity, up 3-2, to go up and to advance to the next round. And Jokic puts up 36 points or so. Uh, shoots over Yusuf Nurkic, shoots around Yusuf Nurkic, just abuses him in that moment as Nurk just couldn't really move as well and did a fantastic job uh, of making all the necessary plays in order to get through that round. Obviously, it didn't work well after that, but look, it is what it is. He he did a nice job and really played Nurkic off the floor in a lot of ways. That was a, a big, big deal. Number 14, the Game 7 game winner over Rudy Gobert. The hook shot that he had in the post, uh, sort of spinning to the middle of the lane. That was a big-time game because that Denver won that game 80-78. to And points were just so difficult to come by for much of that game because both teams couldn't hit anything. It was ugly. It was gross, which was hilarious because it was such a high-scoring series for much of it. But Denver couldn't really hit anything. And the only guy who really could was Jokic. And he did a fantastic job throughout that game of making the necessary plays and and just uh, did exactly what it took to get it done. Number 13, Sambor shuffling on the Clippers in the bubble. He had so many crazy shots in that series where he's turning around over Paul George, turning around uh, over Marcus Morris and doing everything that he can to make their lives hell. After going up 3-1 in that series, the Clippers, I know, thought that they had it. But Game 5 from Jokic, Game 6 from Jokic, Game 7 from Jokic, all of those were fantastic. And so many of those shots were just ones that like the Clippers, they had to live with. They couldn't do anything about it. But Jokic was toying with them in a lot of ways. He was having fun out there, going to shots that only he can hit. And that was a lot of fun. A really, really important moment for the Nuggets at that point, because despite the, there being a lot of pressure, Jokic and Murray just continued to rise to that. And like both of those moments, the Game 7 game winner and then the Sombor shuffles and the performances against the Clippers, I think, encapsulate that pretty well. Number 12 is actually a very similar moment, but it's in the regular season. Game 82 in his third season, I mentioned the Paul Millsap conversation uh Basically, those final six or seven games of that year, Jokic really took over. He was doing a lot of great things, and he got it to a point where it was either going to be Denver or Minnesota in the Western Conference playoffs as an eighth seed. That was a play-in game before the play-in even existed, and Jokic was the best player on the floor of that game. Better than Jimmy Butler, better than Carl Anthony Towns, better than Andrew Wiggins or anybody like that. And nobody on the Nuggets could really compare either. Although Murray, I thought, had a pretty good game. Uh, but it was Jokic. Jokic was the guy, and, and he performed extremely well. Taj Gibson got away with murder so many times at the end of that game where he's just playing physically and daring the refs to call it. And Jokic was just working so hard through that and did a fantastic job of making everybody uh, just just looks so good, <laughs> and he looks so good doing it too. He was hitting some crazy shots. Uh, didn't ultimately end up the way that Denver wanted it to, but I think that more than the more than yoke miss, more than anything, that was a defining moment for Denver where how he responded to that and how he responded to that adversity, it showed just what he could be, and that was a big, big moment for Denver. Number 11. The 49-14-10 game against the Clippers, where he had, I am not, like, it was an incredible display of scoring and playmaking and domination against the Clippers, and obviously not the fully healthy Clippers, and they, they certainly weren't that for much of their time, but he was just dominant throughout that game, and it ultimately came down to him being double teamed on the right wing and just trying to figure it out, trying to like manage it and, and get a good shot for the team. He loops a cross-court pass over the top to the left corner to Aaron Gordon for a three-pointer at the buzzer, and he hits it. Jokic like, completes what was an incredible triple-double at the time and just really showed that like the levels were un- 
unbelievable for Jokic. He could do whatever he wanted to whenever he wanted to. And that's just one of those games that stands out to me. During what was a tough time for him, where he just put the team on his back in a lot of different ways, but even in the clutch moments, he's always still looking for the pass. He's looking to set up his teammates. And that's what ultimately won Denver that game. Number 10, we're in the top 10 now. Nikola Jokic battling Draymond Green in the 2022 playoffs. This is one of those ones where it did not look good for the first two games. And even in game three, where Draymond has the steal out of the post, where Denver has an opportunity late in that game, and Jokic has an opportunity, and he fails, despite the fact that he had done a great job throughout much of that game. Jokic figured out Draymond over the course of those playoffs, and he's never going to like completely figure him out. I don't even know if those guys have played against each other since then. It's been a long time since Jokic and Draymond have played against each other, in my opinion. That's not even an opinion, it's just a fact. But Jokic has been... Like, like that was one of the final guys that you really had to crack, because he had figured out Rudy Gobert, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, different awesome centers, Brooke Lopez, guys like that. But Draymond Green's one of those bigs that gives everybody trouble, gives all centers trouble. And he gave Jokic trouble during the beginning of that series. But Jokic figured that out over the course of it and was really starting to win those matchups. And if Denver had won game five of that series, then that thing maybe goes further. <laughs> like You never know. So it's just really, really impressive to see him kind of see how his mind worked and see the battle between those guys, because I think that made Jokic better. And it certainly turned him into a better player, more prepared for all the defenses that he had seen in 2023. Uh, it was just very, very good. Number nine, 53 points versus the Suns in a game four loss. This was an incredible performance. This was the Matt Ishbia game as well, where he goes into the crowd, tries to get the ball from Ishbia, and he just, like, Ishbia pulls the shenanigans that he did, and then Jokic shoves him. And that caused some adversity throughout that series, but Jokic obviously battled through it. But despite that, 53 points in that game, he was incredible. And, like, just continue to do things that are crazy. Like, I would love to see what he does. Like, how many points do we think that he could score in a game if he really wanted to? If that was his goal, was I'm going to score as many possible points as I can. Could he score 60? Could he score 70? Could he score 80? I think he could get to 60 relatively simply. But this game really kind of hammered home that like if he is in that mode and if he's in a good place as a scorer, then he could get crazy totals as a scorer. And like, it wasn't like the Suns were an amazing defense or anything like that, but they were game planning for him. They were trying. They just couldn't do anything about it. It was awesome. Number eight, game two versus those same Suns where he's hitting everything when nobody else could hit anything. This was a game where like the score kind of like the 80 to 78 Gobert game was like I think it was like a 90 to 86 90 to 84 kind of performance from Denver and from Phoenix and the only guy that could really score was Jokic who had like 30 17 and 5 or something or 30 17 and 10 or something like that and was just tremendous throughout the game really really good playing with physicality playing with poise despite the fact that very little was going right around him and maintained it and played great defense during that time as well, where they would attack him in pick and roll constantly. It just didn't work. He was just very, very good. This was one of those ones where I think the Suns were like, oh crap. In game one, I'm sure that like, Suns fans were probably feeling, okay, this this could be a problem. Game two, they were like, oh, this is definitely a problem. Definitely a problem. Everybody felt that way too. Number seven has to be the seven from 2019-20. This was against the Utah Jazz, where Utah was dominant in that year. They were very, very good. And Denver had just made a trade. I was there for when they made that trade of Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Jared Vanderbilt to uh, different teams, including Minnesota, I think, was the team that collected all three of them, actually. But basically, Denver had nobody on their roster because of that trade. It was pending. There was a lot of moving parts. And Denver also had some injured guys. And they ultimately had seven players. Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, 
I, don't, I think Michael Porter was out. Gary Harris, Tory Craig. I know Vlaco was in there. I know Monte was in there. I don't remember who the seventh guy was. That's a, that's that is poor form for me. Uh, but there were only seven players that Denver had available for that game. And oh, PJ, thank you, thank you, Chris. Uh, gotta love, gotta love me some PJ Dozier. He was a dog. Uh, just uh, just love watching PJ play. Uh, so yeah, you had Jokic, Murray, Monte, Gary, PJ Dozier, Tory Craig, and Vlaco Chanchar, who was basically a rookie at that time and barely played any minutes. But uh, Denver just rode with it, and Jokic was at the center of it all. I think he had 30-20-10 in that game, and had a Sambor shuffle over Gobert in the closing minutes, and that was just one of those ones where, like, you're always going to remember that. Because of the iconic plane photo, because of what it meant, because of Denver kind of rising to the challenge in the face of adversity, is never not going to be awesome. Number six. When Jokic said, I want to stay on fucking parade at the parade. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of extra stuff I need to say about that one. There are a lot of folks that were curious as to whether Jokic was going to be interested in partying and interested in celebrating. He he definitely celebrated. He had a good time. And I think that he realized how much it meant to a lot of people when he was out there. Him grabbing the mic and saying that was unbelievable. It was a lot of fun. Number five, game one versus the Lakers. This was uh, in the Western Conference Finals, of course, last year. This was the best Jokic I've ever seen in my life, ever. And it was in the first three quarters because he basically didn't do much of anything in that fourth quarter. That was when the Rui Hachimura adjustment was born, and Denver was struggling to figure out what they had to do, how they had to attack it, and then they figured it out over the course of the rest of that series. But, um, but the first three game or the first three quarters of that was some of the best basketball I've ever seen Jokic play ever. I think it was the best, and the shots that he was hitting, the moves that he was putting on Davis, he was a blur, and Davis could not stop him. Jokic was grabbing all the rebounds, facilitating for everybody, making these passes that were seeing 12 steps ahead of the other team. Like, it was just awesome. He was so good. And, like, that's just the level that you have to reach if you are the Joker. Like, that's that's the level that he had to get to in order to really set the tone. Number four. You guys remember that one Pelicans game where he had 30 points in the last 14 minutes of fourth quarter in overtime? Like, that actually happened. 30 points in 14 minutes, and he was, like, at the center of everything. This was in 2022, where he's at the center of everything without Murray and without Porter, and he just put the team on his back at that moment. Had 46 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, 3 steals, 4 blocks, and took over the game. He had 16 points going into the fourth quarter, and then he had 30 points in the fourth quarter in overtime because Denver... They just could not keep up. And so he put the team on his back. They're basically down 10 points. And he found a way to get it done. And it was one of those incredible performances that you'll never, ever forget. Like, he was unbelievable. That was that was the game that Larry Nance said on the podcast, by the way, that it was the best game he had ever seen in person. Ever. Or, like, the best game he had ever seen. And he talked like he had played with LeBron. He played with a lot of amazing people, including, like, Kobe at the end of his career. So. It's wild to think about. Number three, headband Jokic. 2,000-1,500 game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Jokic needed, I think, 32 points, I want to say. 31 points, 32 points, something like that, heading into the game in order to achieve the 2,000-1,500 stat, which I will graciously take credit for. Um, This was awesome. This was one of those moments in the arena where everybody knew what was going on. And Jokic was doing something that nobody else in NBA history had ever done before. And he was dominant. He was composed. He was uh, struggling towards the end of it because they were double teaming, triple teaming him towards the end of that game. But he ultimately got it done. When he got the the bucket, 
he was immediately, like, not immediately taken out, but soon taken out after that game. And Denver won it going away. It was one of those ones that I will remember because I I played a small part in making sure that that was a moment that everybody remembered at the end of that season. And that's that was one that meant a lot to me. So really cool to see. Number two, 30-20-10 in the NBA Finals. It was one of those games that, game three against the Miami Heat. How do you respond after a loss? How do you respond when the opposing team wins in your building? And you've then got to get a game back. How do you do it? What do you do? Well, for Jokic and for Murray, this was pretty easy. 30-20-10 for Jokic, 30-10-10, I believe, for Jamal. And those guys were unbelievable to watch. That was the probably my favorite moments of my career, was being able to watch those two in Miami just do the dance and, and make play after play after play where they couldn't be stopped. They just couldn't be stopped by anybody. It was unbelievable to watch, and I'm just very, very lucky to be able to see that in person. That was one of those moments that will stick in my mind forever because who does that? Who does 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists? And, like, that's the seventh time or so that he's done it. Like, that's gross. That is gross. And he just does it because he wants to. Does it because he can. And that's sick. That is just disgusting. And number one, ending the Lakers in game four with some heinous shit. It's just unbelievable. Where I was lucky enough to be in the building for that one too, although my seats were not nearly as good. Um, That was the shots that Jokic was hitting in that game both kind of the step back that he had over LeBron and then the step back that he had way behind over Anthony Davis was, I think, the defining shot of Jokic's career. I really do. And I I don't think I'm going to get much argument from that, obviously, from people, because what he does is just tremendous, and it's just so important for him to be able to show that off and to be able to showcase that. I think that, and and Cedric puts it here, ending the curse against the Lakers, it felt really, really important. I think that that was, it was just one of those moments that Denver was not going to be denied, and it didn't matter. Like, maybe they, they took out some of the voodoo that they needed to, and for those shots to go in, but Jokic was the one to do it. And it meant a lot to a lot of people locally here that Denver was not going to be bullied by the Lakers. And in fact, they were going to do the bullying. It doesn't matter. And for him to be the one to do it and be at the center of it all was such a big deal. So that is my top moment of Jokic's career. I think it is a worthy one. And to hear the air drain out of the building in that moment was, it was a sight to behold. Of course, I was cackling on press row because I'm not a professional in any case. So. Look, is what it is. That is one of those ones that you're just never going to forget. And Jokic is just one of those players that you, you have to treasure all the time because you forget how many of those awesome moments that he's brought to Nuggets fans and the levels that he can reach on a consistent basis. It's been really cool. Happy birthday to Nikola Jokic. Happy birthday to uh, one of the greatest players of all time who will go down as a top 10 player. In the NBA, he is one of those guys that you're just always happy to be around and always happy to see. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. I went long. Sorry to go long on this one, but this is one of those ones. We're getting back into the swing of things. We're getting back into the flow, and I am excited to get back into it because we're going to cover this playoff run. It is going to be a lot of fun. I've got a lot of fun things planned, and I am looking forward to seeing it with all of you. Everybody, buy this darn shirt. This would mean a lot if you did. This shirt is incredible, and I am so excited to see what other awesome stuff Mile High Sports comes out with next. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Hit the like button on the way out, the subscribe button on the layout. Way out. 
I will talk to you guys tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.